My name is Austin Ganyo and I'm from Ghana, West Africa. In Tamale, there, there is like a whole spectrum of views, uh, views, views of disdain, uh, if it's from uh, a very conservative Muslim cleric to views of uh, glares of what are you doing here. Uh, you know, a guy who has studied in the States and is married to an American would choose to move back to Ghana and not to live in the southern part where things are a lot better, but to come to the north, like, they're like, what is, why are you here? In those cases, it's a great opportunity for us to be able to help them to realize that we're here because of the love of Christ and we've been enlisted by Christ to, to share his gospel and this is how we do it. We want to know you, we want to know your culture, we want to live like you're living so that um, when we tell you Christ loves you, you can understand it. It, it reminds us why we, why we are there, knowing that we're, we're on mission and, and we're, we're helping to change some of that. Good morning. Welcome this morning. My name's Steve White, and we're here to worship the Lord together and welcome to all of you. Let's uh, pause for some quietness uh, to make sure our spirit and our bodies are together. Our Father, we live by rather chaotic calendars, and therefore it's good for us to be silent before you and recognize that you are God and we are not, that you lead before us triumphantly and we are to follow, that you have called us to be your disciples and to bring others with us. So we thank you, Father, for these few moments we have to be instructed by the Spirit of God in your word, and I pray we are good students of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5 today as we're almost ready to conclude our study of 1 Peter, this little letter written in 62 AD to a persecuted people who are people who are Christians, who are suffering terribly for being Christians, and Peter the apostle is writing them to encourage them and to help them to be strong to the very end. In our world that's increasingly unlike uh, the citizens of heaven, we're, we're continually feeling that we don't fit. This world is not our home. We're passing through. And this is our textbook for life. This is our, these are our bylaws for living. This is our constitution for life. And therefore, we, we, we take it seriously. We want to hear what God has for us. You know, every year there are these lists of best-dressed and worst-dressed people. It was just uh, not uh, very long ago that Kid Rock was on the worst-dressed list and Will Ferrell and anybody associated with NASCAR. Sorry, you NASCAR fans. Truth is very difficult to deal with sometimes. Um, yeah, you know, there is a best-dressed list that God has, but it's not in the way you may think it because he cares about success. There are certain fields, businesses, that 
there is a certain dress that's demanded of you that you must uh, aspire to and actually dress like if you want to be successful in that arena. Those are, those are fewer and farther between. There's less a correlation between dress and success as there used to be. It's a more casual society than once was. And, you know, I'm okay with that. If you're okay with that, we'll live with it. Uh, nevertheless, in God's kingdom, there is a way he wants us to dress for success. Now, if we could do a, a brainstorming session, have a whiteboard up here, then what, what, do you think, what do you think God's definition of success is? We could come with all kinds of phrases, maybe verses would come to mind, uh, verses of scripture, things like that. And I th- I, we have different things that would go with that, but I think we would at least agree with this, that success, by God's definition, is living a surrendered life to the glory of God. He wants us to keep dying to ourselves as a living death. You were created for one purpose, and that is to glorify the God who made you. And when that is not true in your life, if that's not your high, highest purpose, then your life will never be what it is intended to be. And you're in jeopardy, in fact, of losing your soul then for all eternity. You don't want that to happen. So here's our text today. It's first directed to elders in Peter's time, but then others as well. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him, upon him because he cares for you. Decades ago, we started seeing that little sign in restaurant windows that said, no shirts, no shoes, no service. Um, We also know there are posh restaurants still exist in major cities where guys have to have a jacket to go in there or ladies have to be properly dressed to go there. When we enter the kingdom of God, we, we take off our old clothing. We're saying these old clothes don't fit anymore. And he clothes us with new garments. First, of course, his righteousness, Christ's goodness, his righteousness we are clothed with when we are baptized into Jesus Christ. There's two sets of clothes that he primarily is talking about in this text. Now, let me say that what we talk about today, what we're considering, really is applicable to any kind of leadership. I mean, no matter where you are in business, in administration, in education, in the medical field, in office, but wherever it is, if you are over other people, God's principles work for all people, all times, all places. Certainly, they must be true in the context of his church, which is what this is about, of course, here. By following them, we do well. First, some are chosen to wear the mantle of leadership. I'm using that term mantle because of its presence in the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 1 says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Presbuteros is the Greek word there referring to elder. Peter is an evangelist. He's the preacher among the people here as well as an apostle. He's also a fellow elder. That doesn't mean there's a hierarchy in the church, but there is a certain organizational structure in every church. If there's not an organizational structure, there's going to be chaos. There's going to be needs unmet. 
Yet God has always called leaders to lead. He did it when he called Moses to lead his people out of slavery, David um, to uh, conquer Goliath uh, and lead the Israelites to victory, Solomon to build the temple, Paul to plant churches. He's always called certain people to lead the way to make a difference. This idea of mantle is not what you have around your fireplace that you throw on somebody else. The mantle is a piece of clothing the prophets of God wore in the Old Testament scriptures to identify them as a person of God, the man of God that he has chosen. Elijah was one of those who wore the mantle. He was a great prophet. He did great things. We, we love reading about his life. It's a colorful life. And he gets very discouraged. He's not perfect. He gets depressed. He wants to die. He asks God just to kill him because he's fed up with having to do the work that he's called to do. And one of, the, one of the remedies that God gives him is you need to pass along your leadership. You need to plan for succession. And so the Old Testament says this. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Then Elisha arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Thus, this phrase, this mantle of leadership. You can read even secular business books, and they will refer sometimes to this mantle of leadership. Peter issues this powerful challenge to those who have the mantle of leadership in the church, specifically here, the elders. Now, in some churches you go to, of the Christian churches, there's the eldership, and then the preacher is also an elder. In our particular organizational structure, I'm not an elder, but I sit at the table with the elders, and I'm part of the planning process with them, and uh, I'm part of uh, praying with them and shepherding with them, pastoring with them, but I'm also accountable to them as well. I have to give an answer to them, and uh, because they have called me to be here as, as preacher or evangelist in this particular church for this particular time. Now, uh, th this office, which is an office, an office of elder in the church, is not to be coveted, but desired. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, it's an office that should be wanted. We, it's good to aspire to it, but it becomes covetous if it's about a position or power or control or making a name or being seen or being an honor, that kind of thing. That kind of, of attitude is not, is not appropriate for the role of elder. These words come as a personal challenge to me uh, and I hope it can be to you as well because many of us are in positions of leadership where the, these principles are, uh, are applicable. Some of you are home group leaders. Some of you are D group leaders for our students. Uh, some of you are Bible study leaders. Some of you, even in an informal way, meet with two or three friends to study the scripture, not in a formal organization of our church, but you do it on your own. And so you're leading other people. And so we do well to understand that we're in the position of influencing other people in the kingdom. It's a high calling, particularly as Peter dresses it here as a, as in, a, in, a, in the role of elder. The mantle of leadership has to be worn conscientiously. Um, it's, and so the idea is we have this, you think of a, a cop who wears a uniform. He represents not only himself or herself, but, but the whole law enforcement of the United States of America. You, 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 you wear it with pride, and you know you're representing the whole entire law force, right? Uh, the, the same thing is true for those of us who are Christians, who are wearing the name of Christ, 
It's true of those who are in leadership. It's true of those who are elders, especially because of the role, the important role that they carry in the life of the church. Now, there are two important, uh, uh, not qualified, two important uh, services they render. One, One is they have to be, they have to have servant hearts. That's one of their qualifications. They have to have servant hearts. Be eager to serve, it says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. So it is good to aspire to the role of elder, but if it's for the wrong purposes, then it's a grave sin against God. The role of leader is never for the purpose of power and control and force. The problem is because we have this sin nature that we put to death, it wants to rear its head. And so often there's this ego we have to deal with. It's, it's, we're not perfect. None of us who are in leadership positions are perfect leaders. We all make wrong choices sometimes. There's no perfect um, leadership structure. There's no perfect way to do everything. Um, I don't always demonstrate the heart of a servant. I want to. I, I want to be a servant, but some of you leave me in the dust. When I watch your lives, when I hear what you do, and you yourselves are models for me of, of being a servant of the Lord. I hope you know that and your encouragement to other people. We are to serve in Jesus' name. And I hope we can serve other people well. And we need to pray for our elders all the time that they serve well. And that's the way that they, they lead us by their humble service to the kingdom of God. Leaders also must have shepherding hearts. Shepherd hearts. Verse 2 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing. You know, Bill uh, Parcells, when he coached the uh, Cowboys, used to say to his uh, players and his coaches, don't, don't tell me about the labor pains, just show me the baby. Now, what he means is, I want to see results. I don't care about the price you have to pay. Now, what's our baby? Our baby is making disciples. That's what we do. And if we're not making disciples well, then, you know, something has to change. In fact, that's why we have this new vision that we, we have outlined because we weren't making babies. We weren't making disciples like we should. And so we want to do that better. Now, along the way, there are all kinds of pains just in doing life together and being together. Every week, there are, there are people here who are deeply hurting for any number of reasons. And we don't ignore those pains, those labor pains of growth, and, 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 and just ax that, those people, as uh, getting us off track so we can just make disciples. No, part of the discipling process is that we have to care for each other well also. And so obviously, we have eight elders here. They cannot care for all the wounds and the pains. And that's one of the reasons we want you in a home group. If every person were in a home group in our church, do you realize everybody would be well cared for? Everybody would have a group of people who are ministering to them and praying over them and with them and crying with them and weeping with them and rejoicing with them. Uh, we, we all need people. We all need people in our lives to share that with. That's why this is a part of our vision. An overseer, an elder, a shepherd does three things. Leads the flock and feeds the flock and protects the flock. Now again, while I'm talking about elders... You home group leaders can hear this as well, very well, and apply this to your home group. You D group leaders can apply these three things to your D group. Bible study leaders, you can apply this. You know, lead well. Uh, one day, please understand, uh, you know, later in the text, I don't really address this later on, but it says those of you who are younger, obey, or, or, or what's, the te- what's the word say? The, 
in our text. It doesn't say obey your elders, but, but it says to honor them. It says come unto them. Uh, uh, so what if you don't agree with your elders? Let me tell you, I don't always agree with our elders. But I am responsible to come under them, even when I disagree. I can speak my voice, but then I, I submit to their leadership. Why? Because there comes a time when any of us who are in leadership will give an account for our leadership before the throne of God. It's a terrible burden to bear and to, to, to carry through life, to know that I have to give an answer for the way that I shepherded or cared for people, or the way I led, or where they taught, all that. The elders carry that. I carry that. So does our staff carry that as well. So lead well. Feed. They feed well, too. They feed the flock. Uh, that means when you come here, you're always going to be fed the word. Now, I'm not going to tell. If you Google today best sermons, none of mine will be on there, I'm sure. You can hear much better sermons some other place. I know that. But I do guarantee you that whenever you come here, we will always be in the scripture. We'll always be feeding on the word of God. We'll always be wrestling with God's truth, okay? We'll always be doing that. Make sure you D group leaders, home group leaders, you know, Bible study, make sure that, that you, you have spiritual discussions, that you wrestle with God's process of forming us into the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. That's what we're all about, becoming mature in Jesus Christ. And uh, leaders, these shepherds, they protect the flock as well. That's why we care for the hurting and we you care for those who are struggling. And there's a plethora. Just Google any kind of theological question you have and you could be on your way to hell really fast. Because there's so much false teaching that is out there. And that's why you have to know the Word of God. That's why you have to be well-versed in. That's why we're doing Equip You. We're rolling out in January. We're starting to film it now. So you're ready to know what you believe, why you believe it, and engage other people in a spiritual conversation. We want everybody to be well-established in the Word of God. So when you hear something, you think, ah, that ain't right. I know that's not right because I know this is what the Bible says. So... So let's be well prepared. Our model is our chief shepherd, of course, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40 says of him, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. If God has placed on you a mantle of leadership, as an elder, first of all, you take that seriously. But whatever, whatever mantle of leadership you've been given, do it well. Second, we are called to wear the cloak of humility. So you may want to pick up my book today, How Humility and How I Achieved It. It's a really great read. You'll want to get out there. <laughs> now, that's the strange thing about a humility, right? As soon as you think you have it, you don't. Yeah, one of my best qualities is humility. You know? It just doesn't ring true, right? It's a tricky thing, this humility thing. Clothe yourselves with humility, said, toward one another. Humility is to level a hill or a mountain. When we get angry with somebody, he needs to be knocked down a few knocks, knocks, you know, and we take that on ourselves. It is not your job to knock anybody down to size, cut anybody down to size. That's not your job. Your job and my job is to make sure we're looking everybody in the eye and not looking down on anybody. There is no top dog Christian here. Because the, the ground of the cross is level. And we all get to heaven the same way by the blood of Jesus. And there's nobody here who has greater intrinsic value than anybody else. Because we've all been created in the image of God. So let's, let's always learn that and know that and remember that and practice it as well. Humility is lowering ourselves. Not, not demeaning ourselves. 
is thinking less about ourselves and more of other people. That's what it's like. We clothe ourselves like we're putting on clothing. And let me say, humility is not something. You don't get up tomorrow and say, I'm going to be humble today. Forget it. It's not going to work because it can't be done in the flesh. You can't decide to do this. This only comes as a byproduct of drawing near to the heart of God and being in an intensely deep relationship with him. And then the Holy Spirit is welcome to come in and reshape our hearts. It's always, humility is always a byproduct. So if you want to know if you're humble, ask your wife. Ask your husband. Ask your kids. Ask your best friend. Ask them to be honest. See what they have to say. Can't squeeze this. You can't, you can't, you can't force yourself. This, this is a DNA change, you see. That's what I'm trying to say. Within. That God, this is so significant. What's the text say? The text says, God opposes the proud. It doesn't say he's disappointed with you. He doesn't say he's troubled about that weakness. He opposes you if you're a proud person. This, how, this is how serious it is. He'll oppose you. And I don't think we want that. But he shows favor to those who are humble, gives grace to the humble. Now, you know, you, and you don't have to teach your kids to be prideful, right? They, none of us have to be taught about pride. You know, we got it. Comes natural, just like skin we're born in. Pride comes with it. Let me give you an acrostic for pride. Quick one. P is for position. P is for position. Uh, clamoring for position. Now, again, don't get confused. God has gifted us, and we should be ambitious about the gifts he's given us and imparting them. There's nothing wrong with having ambition. If you're in a job and you want to go for a promotion or something, go for it. That's, that's not dishonoring of God unless it's for, the, for a selfish purpose, just to lord it over people or get that guy who's out for it too or get her because she's, she's tried to do you in and you want to be her boss now. Or, you know, there's all kinds of wrong reasons or just to make more money or to be known or have everything you've ever wanted to have. Those are all wrong reasons. You know, you want to, you want to be ambitious based upon the way God has wired you. He wants you to do your best with what he's given you. So be ambitious. This is not about, so this is about, this is about, um, a position for those wrong purposes. So we, want, we want a good position before the Lord, which is humility. You know, no, no, you don't go to a game and hear anybody screaming, we're number two, we're number two. You know, you know we, we don't do that. It's, it's hard because we're living, we live in a number one world, right? And that, that's closely associated with the R, which stands for rank, for rank. That's when you... You see this label over your life that's a better label than he or she has on their lives. And so you, you rank yourself by success. And what, what would happen if believing people who are strong in the Lord uh, started buying smaller houses to free us up so they wouldn't be concerned about all we have and we could invest more in kingdom purposes? And that was the model we have rather than bigger and better all the time. I'm just saying. Have I done it? Nope. But what if that happened? So the rank wasn't defining us. Leonard Bernstein said, the most difficult instrument to play is second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And if no one plays second, we have no harmony. 
God wants a harmonious family. And that happens when we exercise our gifts well together and honor each other above ourselves. I, the letter I, I must be the center. Maybe it's no coincidence. I is the center of the word pride. It was Aristotle and Ptolemy who claimed that the earth was the center of the universe with all the, everything else revolving around it. Then Copernicus came along in the 16th century and said that, uh-uh, the sun's the center of the universe. And he was claimed, you know, the, the, the Roman church, that was their official position, that the earth was the center. And then when Copernicus, Copernicus came along and changed that, I mean, he was charged with blasphemy and heresy because of it. It was a bad day for Copernicus. But he was right, wasn't he? Go to a map of the world. What country's in the middle? The United States is always in the center of a map of the world. Because that's how we see the world, that we're the center and we're the best. Then there's all those other people, and that's not true. I'm a patriot, and I love our country, and I appreciate our country. With all its weaknesses, all, its, all the bad stuff, I, I love our country. But I've met lots of people in the world. They love their countries just as intensely as we love ours. And our citizenship is first as heaven. D is for destruction. You know what the Bible says? Pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. The only place it doesn't is a dictionary, right? Satan is quoted in Isaiah 40, 14. I will ascend to the heavens. That's position. He said, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. That's rank. I, 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 all that is I in the center, will sit enthroned on the mountain of assembly. I will ascend upon the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I remember sending out a letter years ago. This is 25 years ago. I sent a letter out to the whole church. And uh, somebody sent it back to me, circling every time I wrote the word I. At first, I was really offended. And then, I stood greatly corrected. And I've always, in my heart and mind, thanked him for showing me how myself had shown up. It happens. We have to guard it. E is for embarrassment. Because that's where you end up. And who knows better than Peter, the writer of the letter, who said to Jesus, when Jesus said, you know, you're, you're going to deny me. Me, uh-uh, I'm not going to, I'll die with you. I'll never deny you. And within a short period of time, there was Peter denying that he ever knew Jesus three times before the rooster crowed next morning. And then Jesus walked out from the trials. The Bible says he fixed his eyes on Peter, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. That's what happens. We don't keep our pride in check. Here's the best reason to keep evaluating ourselves, keep laying ourselves down before the Lord. God rewards those who are humble. He rewards those who are humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, I used to say that uh, being humble doesn't mean you have to be a doormat, but I've changed my tune as I've grown in the Lord and grown to understand Scripture. I wanted to think that, and there is plenty of time for us to defend ourselves. Jesus often defended himself right before the cross, right on that day on uh, Tuesday of the final week. He was bombarded with traps, and he defended himself left and right. But finally, when the cross came a few days later, he closed his mouth, and he became a doormat for your sake and mine. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, the Bible says he was deprived of justice. He stopped talking. He stopped defending himself. Herod wanted to do a miracle, and he wouldn't do it. He was a doormat. 
for the salvation of you and me. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we will be a doormat. We will have to allow people to walk on us, but we'll do so for the glory of God. I like what Philippians 2 says in a paraphrase. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death of that, crucifixion, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings will bow to worship before Jesus. The Christian life's full of paradoxes, friends. You have to die to live. You have to surrender to get ahead. You have to lay down so you can be lifted up. And the way up is down. Luke 14, Jesus said, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Great! I want to be exalted. And you may look at your life and say, Man, I try to be a servant. I feel like I get knocked down all the time. I don't feel, like, I don't feel very lifted up by God. Is this really true? Well, when does Peter say this happens? He says, In due time. His time, not ours. You may live this life serving others, and you may be recognized and lifted up for your service, and many are honored for their service, their devotion, and all that. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What matters is God lifting us up, and he will do it in due time. But I assure you, it may not be until you stand before him when you take your last breath, but he will lift you up in due time because that's his promise, and he's true to his word. And at that time, the Nobel Peace Prizes will be gone and the Emmys and the Oscars and the Heisman Trophies and everything else will be gone. The only one that will matter is the ultimate, the ultimate award, the crown of life that God promises to the faithful. Let's be counted among all those that are faithful and we shall enjoy what he has for us forever and ever. Outstanding worship.